At the Great American Trucking Show, representatives of the National Accounting and Business Services firm, ATBS, presented on a variety of subjects in the Overdrive and ATBS co-production of Partners in Business. The Partners in Business seminars at GATS supplement a two-decade-running Partners in Business-bound printed manual for owner-ops that covers a wealth of topics germane to both new and established businesses. You can find more about the program and the manual, whose latest 2018-2019 edition is updated and available at overdriveonline.com PIB. I'm Todd Dills, and in this edition of the Overdrive Radio Podcast, we'll start with audio from ATBS President Todd Amon's talk through ATBS benchmarking of owner-operator cost and income data. Crunch to benchmark averages for the company's more than 40,000 owner-operator clients. Amon begins with a quick take on current conditions in trucking relative to the wider economy and continues well into the weeds with some data I think you'll find to be quite valuable. You can also catch a video version of all the presentations via the Overdrive YouTube channel, youtube.com slash overdrivemag, or search Todd Amen, A-M-E-N for that last name. Search the name at overdriveonline.com. Two additional partners in business presenters at GATS followed Amen's talk. ATBS's Richard DeForest and owner-operator coach and Sirius XM host Kevin Rutherford. So stay tuned. So to kind of just talk a little bit about what's going on in trucking and how's the economic environment, I asked in the beginning, is anybody doing better this year than last year? And just about everybody in the room raised their hands. And I want to just kind of help you understand some of the things we pay attention to to help our drivers understand the market. Um, you know, you can read the news today and listen to CNBC and uh, news channels, and they talk about housing starts, and they talk about automobiles manufactured and all this interest rates, all this stuff going on, and none of it really, to me, makes a lot of sense anymore because there's just so much data and you don't know what it all means. This is one of my most favorite favorite indexes in trucking. It's the Internet Truck Stop Market Demand Index. It comes out every single week. They're here. Uh, you can subscribe to a newsletter. And so briefly, what the ratio, I have a 36 ratio on the right-hand side, 36 times. What that essentially means is for every one load posted to the Internet Truck Stop, Every 36 loads posted to the internet truck stop, there's one truck out there looking for a load. So there's 36 loads for every one truck looking for a load. That's the big picture ratio in the country. My belief is that the red line up there at 12 is a break even for trucking. If I asked you guys how many of you are doing better this year than last year, and we go back kind of to 2008, which is kind of right down in that dip below the red line, 2009, 2010, that's when that ratio was below 12. You guys would be doing worse this year. But you can see that spike that we've had, and it's incredible how great things have been really for the last 8 to 10 months. Um, we spiked all the way up to 70. That's the top line up there, which is unheard of. If you pay attention to the stock market at all, Dow Jones right now is around 25,000. That would be like Dow Jones 150,000 points. That's how robust the freight market was. It's fallen in half back to 36. So, you know, that feels like things are slowing down and getting a little bit weak, but you got to keep it in perspective. Just look at that far right compared to the last 15 years of history. We're in the best freight environment we've ever been in. Just to kind of tie some numbers to that, uh, this is from DAT, which is similar to truckstop.com, both load boards. And uh, if you look at the rates going back to March of 2015, I'm sorry, 2017, so a little over a year, three months ago, kind of when the market bottomed, kind of the crappy freight market bottomed, dry vans were at a buck 63, 
uh, flatbeds were at 202 and refrigerator was a buck 86. You fast forward to, you know, the spring of this year when we were at that 70 market demand index and you look at what rates did. Uh, we we're up to 218 in dry van, 270 in flatbed and 248 in reefer. So rates are up 30%. Again, that's unheard of in my 52 years of paying attention to trucking. If rates went up four or five, eight cents, we were pretty excited in this business. So to have rates up 30% is unbelievable. And really the question I think most people I'm talking to these days is they wonder how long this is going to last. It's so good. It's so fun. It's like the party's at its peak and we just don't want it to end. You know, who's going to shut the beer off because we don't want to go home. We just, we just want to keep doing this as long as we can. So how are you guys as individual and our operators doing? Uh, we're lucky at ATBS because we have a mass of data, uh, really the biggest mass of data in the world on owner operators. And so we take that data and we crunch it and we create benchmarks to help you understand where you might stack up and if you're doing better or worse than others in the industry. If you're doing worse, you can find ways to improve. If you're doing better, keep doing more of it. So I'm going to start off with Miles. The average owner operator um, is running, this is year over year data. So the gold bars are start in June of this year and the black bars, I'm sorry, the black bars are June of this year. The gold bars are June of last year. So we look at this year versus last year, um, going back year over year. So it's really crazy to me to look at that and miles are actually down two and a half percent to 108,000 miles. That's what the average owner operator is running. If I think about that, we're in the best times that have ever been. And if I'm a businessman, I want to make all the money I can during the best times there's ever been. So you'd think I'd be working really hard, but we've seen this time and again, and I'll show you a slide in just a second. Actually, I'll just flip to it right now. Um, this slide shows you 15 years of mileage history. And what we find out over 15 years, I was really kind of befuddled the first couple of times I saw it, but what happens when times are good is owner operators, number one, I think they get a little more picky and they start looking for the better freight. They don't want to work as hard. They work really hard every single day and they'd rather make a higher rate per mile and run less miles. Plus, they've been working their butt off for three years to get through kind of the rough times we had up until last year. And so they just want a little time off. They want to be at home to watch their kids' football game or go fishing. And so miles actually go down. You can see on the far right of that slide, you know, during the slow freight times of 16 and 17, um, we kind of miles picked up because guys had to run money to make truck payments. Now we're slowing it down again. So it's really kind of interesting. Um, if we look at revenue per mile, we show the revenue per mile average up 12 cents a mile. Uh, the average owner operator is running a buck 44. You can see on the far right, just because you're probably in one of those segments, if you're in dry, flat, or refrigerated, you can see what those rates are. Independent, so those are all drivers leased to fleets. If you look at the independents, those are guys that are the hired guns or the trailblazers that have their own authority. So you can kind of see the differential in the rates. You know, one thing that has uh, blown my mind this year is the flatbed business is just unbelievable. People are making crazy money in the flatbed business. So I'm going to go back real quick and just touch on the fact that we're up almost 10% in rates by 12 cents a mile. You know, it's great. It's because we're in an industry on fire. But a big piece of it is the top of that chart, which is the DOE national average fuel price. Fuel's gone up. We all know that. We're spending more money on fuel. And so a piece of that is because fuel's gone up. And I'll tell you a little bit more specific about that in a minute. So this chart is going to help me talk to you guys that have been owner operators, company drivers, and you're thinking about, do I get my own authority? You know, how, what should I do right now? Because the market's crazy. I keep hearing my buddy in the truck stop saying he's running loads for 250 a mile. And, you know, I'm only making a buck 60 a mile and people in a market like this kind of get in that mindset. So I'm big on break even lines. The gold line up there is a break even line. So if I'm a guy or a gal with the owner operator running for a fleet, 
and I'm making a buck, 40, buck 45 per mile. If I want to go out and do this on my own and get my own authority, a lot changes. I got to get my own trailer. I got to get my own insurance. I got to, you know, book my own loads. I'm going to have some bad debt because some of those people aren't going to pay me. And so in our mind, on the bottom of there, it costs about $45,000 for me to go out and actually do this on my own and run my own business. That translates to about 42 cents a mile. So that gold bar is that 42 cents a mile. That's a break even. You can look through time and kind of see where the break even was. We came out of that break even kind of, you know, mid 2017 and into 2018. And we're at the highest break even above the break even we've ever been. We're almost 90 cents above that. And let me just show you the next slide to kind of translate that. So in today's world, if I'm leased onto a fleet, the average rate's going to be between a buck forty to a buck sixty, somewhere in that range, depending on the freight we haul. If I'm on the spot market, I'm making two thirty a mile, almost ninety thousand dollars more per year. If I'm running a hundred thousand miles a year, that's a lot of money. I just said I'm going to have to probably spend forty to fifty grand to do that. So the net net might be somewhere between thirty to fifty thousand dollars. That entices a lot of people to do just what Jennifer said on the stage before me: get my own authority and go. You know be my own guy. This is the market I can do that in. I can be my own boss. So one thing I really want you to think about is Richard's going to, you know, dive much deeper into this, but this is a cyclical business. It goes up and down. The pendulum swings right and it swings left. We're in the best times we've ever been. So I can assure you whether you're smart or not, you'll probably make money with your own authority for the next six months, but we're going to hit the bad times and we're going to, you know, pendulum's going to swing left. And what you really got to think about is being prepared for those bad times because that's when a lot of folks that have gone out and got their own authority, borrowed some money, bought a trailer, you know, puts a home mortgage or whatever they did to get in that business, they go broke and they lose everything. So you got to be prepared and make sure you make that step the right way. But it's a market that you can do it in for sure. If we look at gross revenue, the average gross revenue is up 10%, um, 6.5% to $155,000. Again, in the bottom right, you can kind of see by segment uh, how the revenue breaks out. If I look at fuel costs, they're up. We all know, you know fuel's been going up for the last 14 months. It's over 3 bucks a gallon. And so my average fuel costs for an owner-operator are up $0.06 cents a mile to about $0.44 cents a mile. So a key slide for me is kind of looking at what happened with revenue per mile versus fuel per mile. And so this slide tells us that I already talked about revenue per mile going up 12 cents, fuel going up 6 cents. The net difference is about 6 cents. So that tells me truly we've had a 6 cent per mile rate increase this year versus last year from June. But that's real dollars. If you look on the far right, I'm making $9,400 in revenue, but my fuel's only costing me $5,900. That's about a net increase of right around $3,500. That's why things are good in trucking right now. That's why the truck show is crowded. That's why people are looking for trucks. I might be upgrading my truck. Um, things are really good right now. Uh, a lot of people don't understand fuel surcharges. I don't have time to go through the complex calculations with you, but a lot of people feel like they get screwed by fuel surcharges. And so um, fuel surcharges are calculated. Every load in the country probably has a fuel surcharge that gets calculated a different way. So I just want to give you some benchmarks. This is data. We track about 50 fleets every week because we get drivers that call and want to know if they're getting a fair fuel surcharge. So uh, this is August 13th, a couple weeks ago. The average fuel surcharge was 33.2 cents a mile. But we had a range. We had as low as 14.7 cents a mile. We had as high as 41.6 cents a mile. So somewhere in that range is a reasonable fuel surcharge. What you got to understand is if you're getting paid a fuel surcharge, what's the base rate? Because all in, the rate should you know, add up to be something that you can make money with. 
Uh, just to give you a benchmark for miles per gallon, we track our driver's miles per gallon. Again, the black is 2018, the gold is 2017, and different segments. So the good news is um, we see when, a lot of times, when freight's good, we see people drive faster. They want to haul more freight and make more money, but it's kind of an offset because fuel's over 3 bucks a gallon, so people are kind of miles per gallon conscious. So in all segments, we see people gaining uh, miles per gallon this year. They're managing their fuel. They're paying attention to it, except in the flatbed business. I think things are so crazy and good in the flatbed business. I don't think flatbedders care. They're making so much money. They're just running, doing whatever they can to haul more freight. Uh, truck payments. Uh, so this is a time in the market where a lot of people think, you know, I put off buying a new truck. I wasn't making enough money. Maybe I'll get one now. I just want to give you some benchmarks. You go back 15 years ago, our average client was paying around uh, $1,400, $1,500 a year for a truck. Today, that's crept up. It's all the way up to about $2,300, $2,400 per month. Um, so trucks have gotten expensive. Um, the biggest reason they have, you know, a lot of people blame truck manufacturers, but it's really the government. They have these EPA mandates, and every time they have one, you can see the price of fuel spike as we have to meet new EPA mandates with these engines. If I look at maintenance, something that's a little bit worrisome for me right now, uh, back in the old days, 15 years ago, we told the average driver, set aside about seven or eight cents a mile in your maintenance escrow, you'll be fine, and you'll cover whatever comes your way. That crept up as we started getting those EPA engines in here, and they got more expensive, and DPFs, and ECMs, and all the stuff that goes out. So maintenance went up to about 10 cents a mile kind of during the recession. Then it kind of leveled off there. But if you look on the far right-hand side, just this year, We've seen a spike of almost a cent per mile, and I haven't quite figured out why. I don't think we've had significant truck changes. What I really think it is is a lot of people put off upgrading trucks during the slow freight times of 16 and 17, and the maintenance is catching up with them. So it's kind of one of those things you really need to be thinking about, my truck versus my maintenance cost, and this is a time for me to get into a newer or a new truck. So net income, um, you know, what's the bottom line? This is what matters to all of us. This is what we use to pay the bills and retire on and save and all those kinds of things. This is great news. This is the biggest jump we've ever seen in net income year over year. Uh, the average owner-operator is making $62,750, roughly up 5.2%. 5.6%. If you look at the bottom right, again, you can gauge where you're doing in what segment of the industry. I go back to the flatbedders. You know, they're up $10,000 to $76,000. We have drivers today that are making six figures, which I've never, you know, we used to have a handful, maybe one-tenth of one percent, but we have many drivers making six figures. It's just an awesome time to be in the trucking business. People are doing really, really well. So if I just look at the long-term trend of net income, because a lot of times it's easy to get discouraged in this business, things are going to slow down. We all know the pendulum's going to swing and it's going to get tough again, but you got to look at the long-term trends and you think back. 2003, 15 years ago, the average owner operator was making 35 cents a mile and they're making about four grand a month. We've almost doubled that on a per mile basis. We're running more mi less miles and making more money. And today we're making, you know, 60 grand a year instead of 48 grand a year. So that's a good thing. This is one of my favorite slides because what it really tries to do is look at the work-life balance. How much are you going to pay me for how much uh, work I got to do? And if, if I look at the top, you know, it's Unbelievable for me to think about back when we got in business. The average owner-operator ran 139,000 miles a year. I know before me they had ELD folks on the stage talking about your logs, and there's no way you could log 139,000 miles a year. But back in those days, people did it. That's how you made money. You just shut the door, put the pedal down, and you ran. Today, I already said we're running 108,000 miles a year. 
On the flip side, 15 years ago, drivers were making $47,000. Today, they're making 63. So if I think about that, over a 15-year time period, I'm working 22% less. And don't take it to say that drivers don't work hard. You work harder than anybody I know. You legally can drive 70 hours a week, and then you work after that on your truck and your business. So you work really hard, but you're driving less, which is nice. You're home more often. So I'm working 22% less as far as miles go, but my pay has gone from 48 grand to 63 grand, which is a 34% increase. So that's a good trend. And what it tells me is over time, things have gotten better for owner operators. That's why more people want to get into this business, lease a truck, finance a truck, and uh, go on their business. So if I look at the population of owner operators, I get this from uh, my good buddy, Max, who introduced me, and they do a study every year. We can see back in the early days, uh, we had 238,000 owner-operators. Then through the dot-com um, kind of you know free money, early 2000s, we financed a bunch of owner-operators we shouldn't have, and we grew the population like crazy to 279,000. Then the Great Recession hit, and poof, 25% of those folks just evaporated. They lost their business because they really didn't have a good business foundation or put money down on it. We've grown over the last five years out of the Great Recession. Um, we've grown that population back up to 268,000. So the good news is the economics are good for owner operators and more and more folks are getting into that business. Uh, so just to wrap up, uh, if you're thinking about becoming an owner operator, I don't think there's ever been a better time. Uh, there's a huge amount of, not a huge amount, but there's some really quality used trucks on the market at a great price. So you can get a truck. There's a lot of money willing to finance you. Um, the government attack we you know faced for a lot of years. The IC model was under attack by the government. Uh, there's a lot of new tax incentives. I did a tax seminar yesterday. There's a lot of things that advantage you as an owner-operator. Uh, the most simple thing is per diem went away for company drivers. That's a horrible deal. It's going to cost you more in taxes, but owner-operators still get a per diem deduction. We can talk more about that afterwards if you want. The challenge for our industry is there's no truck drivers that are coming into our industry. And so um, that's actually not a bad thing for all of us that are already in the industry. It kind of keeps a lid on capacity so we can't grow a lot of trucks and over-truck and have the market go back down. So it's a good time to be an owner-operator. So I'm going to wrap up with just some predictions. Every year we do a benchmark seminar like this, and we kind of predict what's going to happen this year. The first thing we said back in January was we're not going to know what the ELD really, really means until we get to summertime. And um, we were right. We didn't find that out, but that's when we saw that 70 market demand index. We found out there was a lot of freight, and folks slowed down. They couldn't run illegally, and so there wasn't enough capacity, and, and so the market got really, really hot. We said net income is going to grow significantly throughout 2018. We're seeing that. I showed you the numbers, and it's not going to stop. It's going to keep growing. My guess is by the time we get to the end of this year, the average owner-operator is going to be at $65,000 net income. When, you know, not too long ago, they were making $55,000, $50,000. It's great. Income is growing significantly. Um, one thing that's a little bit of a shocker for me is typically in times like this, we see the grass is greener mentality. We see these $15,000 sign-on bonuses. We see pay increases and we see drivers kind of getting itchy feet and saying man they're offering more over there i'm going to quit i'm going to go do this and we see a lot of turnover we have really seen the owner operator base stay put because they're doing well they're making money doing what they're doing and they realize if i transition during time like this and it takes me a month to change from this to that i'm missing a month of one of the best freight markets there's ever been and so the turnover has really not happened among owner operators 
One thing I do know and one thing I've seen is there's a lot of fleets here and we have a lot of fleet partners. The fleets that are growing their owner operator base are the ones that are helping you participate in this great market the most, which are typically the percentage pay fleets. They're the ones that, you know, as market rates go up every single day, you're getting a percent of that. They're growing capacity. A lot of the fleets that are paying, you know, per mile pay that adjust, but they adjust kind of in arrears once a quarter or something like that. They're not growing their capacity as fast. Um, we're seeing a lot of lease purchase programs. Those kind of went away for a little while during the freight recession a few years ago, but we're seeing a lot come back. You walk around here and you see lease purchase programs everywhere. So we're seeing a lot of drivers migrate into those. Um, you know, lastly, my prediction, biggest question of the day is how long is this party going to last? Who's going to shut the beer off? Uh, I'll stand up here and tell you, I believe pretty firmly it's going to last at least through middle of next year uh, with the depreciation incentives, the economic incentives, everything that's going on. Uh, we're, in, we're in good times, and there's nothing barring some kind of terrorist act or something crazy that could happen. If things just continue like they are, I think we're you know well into next year before this ends, maybe even to 2020. So uh, work hard, make money when you can, because things never last. Following Eamon's talk, Richard DeForest with ATBS outlined a list of key considerations for any independent business person, and owner-operators in particular, looking to set themselves up for success for the long term and a comfortable retirement, pull out of a credit hole, and other situations. In general, too, what DeForest was keyed in on during the 2018 Partners in Business seminars can be described as a series of best business practices for a solid foundation to prepare for what inevitably comes, an economic downturn, often tough to weather for owner-operators in trouble. Take a listen. What this is, is instead of uh, preaching, maybe there's one or two things on here that might help somebody down the road. And I'll just go through these real briefly here with you to give you an idea why they're up there. But write down clear long-term objectives. And I wanted to start with this because it's so interesting. Because it doesn't cost anything and it doesn't have to take a lot of time. But what's really interesting is very few people are willing to do this. But they found in studies that those that do this sort of thing are much more successful in certain areas. Uh, balance the budget. We believe in this so much at ATBS that over 90% of our clients get a budget from us. We call it a profit plan. But this is one of the keys to helping them succeed is this budget that we provide. And what it is, it's like a road map. How, how do you want to get from where you live to Dallas, Texas? And you, if you drove, you followed a road map. And this is a similar situation. How do you get from where you are today to where you want to be? and buy everything with cash and that's easy to say and it sounds kind of intimidating at times but the Federal Reserve did a study and found that 69% of the people pay with cash or a debit card and banks consider uh, a debit card a cash transaction so 69% are already doing it so maybe it's not out of reach to think about ways to do that pay off credit accounts each month um, the credit reporting agencies say that the average uh, credit card balance is $6,300. That's a lot of money for sure, but if you think about it, in this day and age, the numbers that Todd showed you, if you could take $500 a month and apply it to that, you'd have it paid off in less than a year. It's doable, in other words. Um, repair credit now. This is kind of a sad story because uh, the credit reporting agencies say that good credit is 701 to 749 
And yet, they also tell you that one-third of Americans have a credit score of 601 or less. And where that comes into play is yesterday I was talking to one of the uh, finance companies out here, and I said, what's the minimum credit score you'll look at? 625 was the answer I got. So you can see those one-third of the population that's under 601 going to have a hard time financing a truck, and it limits their other choices. And sometimes, because they don't have a lot of money and they don't have a good credit score, that means they pay more for things like insurance or interest if they go to finance something. Pay down or eliminate debt. And with this one, this one can be broken down perhaps and uh, pay off the smallest one first, then pay off the one with the highest rate of interest second. And if you do it like that, maybe that makes the rest of it easier to attack and pay off. Purchase essential tools and equipment and um, that's where you separate what you want from what you need. And what you need is look at those things that are gonna increase revenue the most or decrease cost the most. And sell idle equipment, um, even if it's paid for, there's a cost. And sometimes that cost is just lot rot. And sometimes the cost is the time it takes to mow around something that's parked in your backyard. It, there's a cost to that too, that kind of thing get caught up on old tax issues and the IRS likes to throw around big numbers and scare the heck out of us and they'll tell you there's 8.2 million people that owe 83 billion dollars in back taxes and uh, interest and penalties now I can't make a dent in 83 billion dollars but when you do the math and break it out that's ten thousand dollars per person okay so if if you're one of those folks $500 a month again, which is doable right now, before the pendulum swings back, uh, $500 a month would let you pay that off in less than two years. Give some money to charity, and uh, it's just human nature that uh, you become a little stronger if you help somebody else out, perhaps with a local charity. Our company, ATBS, uh, because of Todd's sponsorship, uh, we work with two local charities, a woman's shelter and a veterans uh, support group. And uh, when you get involved with folks like this, it makes you stronger and, and just better able to handle things that come at you in the future. Read a business book or take an online course. There's so much out there that the hard part might be where to start, but this is something that works in your favor because truckers generally have a lot of downtime. And it doesn't take a lot of time, only a little bit of time, 15, 30 minutes a day. But this kind of thing can help you uh, get ready for the future, of course. And uh, that next one, get married and get a tax deduction, that's uh, nonsense. I kind of made that up to make sure you're paying attention. Uh, but uh, if there's uh, any uh, gals out there that want to talk to me about this after this is over, well, let me know. I'll be happy to talk to you about it. So, And reward yourself. And this is pretty important because sometimes we, we get in the mode of just work, 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 and more work. And a guy named Richard Stocking, when he was the CEO of Swift, said that fortunes aren't made in the good times. They're made by surviving the bad times. And you guys have already done that. Okay? So... I'm hoping that you can uh, perhaps uh, 
talk your tax accountant into letting you write off that new pair of sunglasses or something like that. A few months ago, Netflix had a documentary on Henry Ford, and uh, that was really interesting. And a few months before that, Todd and I were in Detroit, and we were uh, we had six hours to kill before our flight home. So uh, we decided to go to the Henry Ford Greenfield Village in Dearborn, Michigan. Highly recommend it because you come away from that respecting Henry Ford a lot for his work ethic and uh, his knowledge and uh, the adversity that he encountered. I mean, unions were just coming in at that time. That was a big deal to be able to deal with that sort of thing. And so when he says something like this, it kind of sticks. If you think you can or if you think you can't, you're right. Well, the, some of the things on that previous list might be hard to do, and I, everybody would agree with that. And again, it's not about preaching or anything, just to give somebody ideas that might help them for the future. Finally, well-known radio host and owner-operator coach Kevin Rutherford, former small fleet owner-operator himself, ran through his philosophy on dealing with customer relationships and how he believes too many owner-ops create an impossible task in this department when dealing with just too many brokers. His thoughts on direct ship customers and much more dominated this talk, largely spurred on by lively discussions with questions from members of the audience. Okay, his question is if you're going to go out and try to meet your customers, who would be the most valuable people that you want to build that relationship with? I'd like to start with the one that writes the checks. Yeah, it, it, and you know, you get better at this as you go. But I, I like to get to the people who really make decisions, the people who can really make a difference. Now, they may not want to meet with me. You know, 20 years ago, if I went out and I was looking for a sponsor, I wasn't going to get to the CEO. That was, just wasn't going to happen. I was having a hard time getting in the front door. Today, if I want to go talk to even very, very large companies, I can usually get to the CEO pretty quickly. I mean, I work with companies like Michelin. Um, I'm probably going to be working a deal with J.B. Hunt with their Carrier 360 program. I'm going to start at the top now because I can. That's taken a long time to get there. Now, here's another thing. Real quick on this topic, he brought up, you know, he didn't meet the brokers he worked with. Well, I understand why a lot of owner-operators don't. I get tax returns for owner-operators. I've been doing it for years. It was not unusual for me when I had a, a one truck owner operator with his own authority to get somewhere between 50 and 75 1099s. That means he worked with 50 to 75 brokers in a single year. My record was like 190 something. It might have even been bigger. I can't even remember it was so stupid. Now, can you possibly go out and meet with 75 people in a year? It's not going to happen. My philosophy was three to five good brokers is all I need to run a really successful trucking company. Three to five good brokers will keep me busier than I would ever be able to, to want to be anyway. So why would I work with 50 or 75? They have no time to build relationships. They have no time to prove to them how good I really am. Any other questions? Direct shippers. When I was doing business, I, I would kill to get to a direct shipper. It's difficult. If you haven't done the work to prove your value to a, a broker, and if you haven't learned about some basic relationship building and, and negotiating, and if you don't understand rates and lanes, don't even attempt it. They'll kick you out the door in a heartbeat. 
How many of anybody in the room in freight sales? It is a really, really competitive business. And it's still a lot of the old boy network. Sometimes they just do business with these people because they've always done business with them. And trying to break into that is not amateur hour. You've got to really know what you're doing. So brokers are kind of desperate to move freight. So they're easy. And if you're, having, if you're not all that successful with brokers, and they're just about begging you, you don't stand a chance at the shipper level. Shippers do not want to deal with one truck at a time. That's why brokers are here. They're always going to be here. We need them in the industry. Shippers love them. You should start loving them. Get in the door and start building that relationship. So now if I take that load and I make it a little better for him and I don't complain about everything that's wrong with it, is he more likely to give me a load that's maybe a little better? All right, have I taken a step up in the world now? And if I prove to him that that load may have been okay, but I'm gonna make it even better, is he more likely to give me the next load that's a little better? Do the best loads make it to the load ports? No, if you're not familiar with that, they don't. Why would they? I was a broker at one time. You call me a, a cold call off the load board, I have no idea who you are. You're getting my best rate. I'm not even posting that stuff. Because I have a relationship with you and I know you're a problem solver, you're getting my best rate every time. It's so not going on the board, I'm calling you and say, hey, are you in the area? Because I got a killer load for you right now. So I will quickly become that guy that doesn't even have to go to the load board anymore. They'll be calling me and giving me their best rate. And when they start doing that, will I still help them out once in a while and take that garbage load? Yeah. Are you going to get taken advantage of? Maybe. You might once in a while. Business is tough. It's not for sissies. But so what? So what? I can only be taken advantage of if I let myself be. If I think they're taking advantage of me, well then that's not a good relationship and I just might move on and find a new customer. But it doesn't happen often. You build relationships like that, that's a true win-win. Now, I like to tell stories. And this is one of my favorite stories. It took me a long, long time. I kind of knew the lesson and I was hoping it would work and I've seen it work in other areas. But this is one of those times where the payoff came way, way down the line. So I was contracted to FedEx at the time, FedEx Brown, and I was running doubles between Akron and Columbus, short run. It was just long enough though, that in Ohio when the speed limit was 55, it was 260 miles. You could only pull one. You couldn't do two. So this is kind of a lousy run, isn't it? 260 miles, it's overnight, it's from like, you know, eight o'clock at night till about two in the morning. Just but it worked for me because I wanted to go back to school. So I owned a couple trucks, had a couple trucks running under my own authority, just got in with FedEx, and I said, this is perfect. I can run 260 miles a night, make some money, still get plenty of sleep, still go back to school. So I went back to school to become a financial planner, and I'm running this at night. And I get down there to the hub, and it's the same thing every night. Take a set of doubles down, usually loaded, I was the last run of the night, so most of the time, unless it was really busy, I brought two empties back. So we were on a tight schedule. Unless you had empties, who cares at that point? 
So I would tend to hang out and talk to people down in the hub and get to know people and build relationships. And there was a new guy, young kid right out of college. I think they called them coordinators. We're always changing names. Basically, they're a dispatcher. They give your bills or trailer numbers. So I'm just hanging out talking to him. I want to get to know this guy. So we're hanging out talking. We've been doing this a couple nights. While we're standing there talking, the phone rings. John picks it up, and I see his, he's like nodding, he's not saying anything, and he's, he's getting that look, and his face is getting really white, and he's like gasping for air, and he hangs up the phone, and he's just giving me this deer in the headlights look. And I said, John, what's wrong? And he said, I, I don't even know if this is right. And I said, what? And he said, you know the scale just south of here, and I go back north. I said, yeah, the one between here and Cincinnati. And he said, yeah. Um, they just told me they've got a set of our doubles there that weigh 140,000 pounds. And I said, wow, that's a little heavy. I said, we need to fix that. I said, I'm surprised they still have tires. Um, so, you know, what's the big deal? You know, we'll just, I mean, fix it. Send some trailers down there later on and you're just going to have to throw some freight. And he said, yeah, but you don't get it. There's sales flyers for Kmart in the sales in two days. We can't hold those things up even a couple of hours or we will not get them out to the store. And at that point, that whole load is completely worthless. And I said, John, I don't think it's a big deal. I said, I've got a couple empties and I don't have to be anywhere. And I'll just run down on the scale. We'll just back the trailers up against each other. The driver and I will just start throwing freight so we can get them right. I said, if they're 140, we should be okay. And he said, oh my God, I said, but I don't know how to pay you. And I don't know who to ask it. I was trying to, it doesn't matter. Just, we'll figure this out. We just need to serve the customer. That's all that matters right now. We need to serve the customer. So I start heading down there. I did have a cell phone way back then, one of the first drivers that did. And before I even get to the scale, John calls me. He said, we got a problem. I said, I know, I'm working on it. And he said, no, we've got a bigger problem. There's another set at about 120,000 pounds that just hit the scale. And I said, John, this is starting to get a little ugly. I said, you need to start getting some guys with empties and get them down here. I said, I'll do this as long as I have to. But you got, you're gonna have to give me some help. And he said, it's possible there's three more sets coming. He said, they've been loading these things all night out of Kentucky and Cincinnati. And he said, nobody was paying attention because sales flyers in perfectly square boxes packed into a package trailer where you can stuff the bottom, put the shelves down, stuff the top, you can really overload these things. And that's what they did. And I ran trailers back and forth for about 14 hours straight. Yeah, I think I probably broke hours of service a little bit, but we had to serve the customer. And we did. So turns out, John never figured out how to pay me. I didn't make a big deal about it. So life goes on. I decide I don't like Northeast Ohio winters anymore, I'm going to move to Florida. So I transfer my contract down to Jacksonville, then they open a new hub in Orlando, I transfer to Orlando, and I've got three trucks running for them, nice contract. And at that time, FedEx had no system whatsoever for assigning runs. And dedicated runs at FedEx are like gold. The longer dedicated runs, the better. The team runs, whatever you want, but they had no system for assigning them. It was kind of like whatever the line hole manager wanted to do. So it was kind of like the Wild West. So building good relationships with the line hole manager was really important.
So one day I'm hanging out at the hub and somebody says, hey, have you met the new line hall manager? And I said, I didn't even know he had one. He said, yeah, I just started this week. And I said, well, I guess I'll head on over to the office and say hello. So I walk over to the office. Guess who the new line hall manager in Orlando is? John. Guess who got really, really good runs? I did. That would be me. Every interaction can be important to your business. Keep that in mind. Every person you interact with, no matter what their position might be today. That's a wrap on this edition of Overdrive Radio. Again, if you're new to the world of trucking as an owner-operator or feel like you're missing something key about the business, Partners in Business Manual like as not could contain what you're looking for. We've updated it through the years with expertise from ATBS and coverage of essential business topics by the editors here at Overdrive. Find it via overdriveonline.com slash PIB. Until next week, stay safe out there.